This is Give Me Some Truth. This podcast features appearances from Clint Walkner, Nate Condon, Jonathan Jordan, and myself, Mitch DeWitt, from Walkner Condon Financial Advisors in Madison, Wisconsin. Give Me Some Truth is dedicated to providing an accessible and authentic view into the financial services industry, as well as current events and investment concepts that you can apply in your day-to-day life. Here are your hosts. Welcome to Give Me Some Truth. I'm Jonathan Jordan. I'm here with Mitch DeWitt today, and we're going to be talking about investing near a peak. And lately, with where the stock market has been, uh, there's been a lot of volatility, some of the biggest down days in terms of points that we've ever seen before. And I think people have been concerned, rightfully, there's news, things going on. But a lot of questions we get sometimes is, should I be putting money in right now when the market's so high? And, or, you know, Mitch, over the last you know, year, we've seen the market hit over 70, all, you know, all-time highs and has consistently gone higher. And then it topped out here in, in January of this year. So, you know, did you, with you, you hearing this from clients talking about, you know, what am I going to do with the markets? You know, the market's hot right now. Absolutely. And not only clients, but also prospective clients, people that are thinking about starting to do business with us. And they say, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe I got inheritance, for example. Should I start investing this money? What should I do with it? You know, we're at this all-time high, kind of like you mentioned, or, or near the all-time high as we speak. And some of their thoughts are, well, it, it only can go down from here. What if I just wait another year and then invest? And those are some of the questions that that prospective clients and some clients in, in cases will ask. Yeah. And, and I get, you know, whether I'm out at a, a function, you know, I don't care if it's a charity function or I'm out with some neighbors. If I'm talking to people that I'm not necessarily working with, one of the first questions they ask when they know that I'm a financial planner and financial advisor, they say, so what's the market going to do here? What's going on? And that's one of the things that it's a question you really can't answer because, you know, the market really does only three things. It either goes up, it goes down, or it goes sideways. And today, tomorrow, next week, I can't really tell you what it's going to do. I can tell you what I think it's going to do, but I can tell you that 100% of the days that I've woke up, the market has not done anything that I wanted it to do. Some days I'm happy, some days I'm disappointed, but over the long haul, the stock market has returned better than anything else in terms of beating inflation for investors who are willing to be in there for the long for for the long term investment. And so that's why you know we, we see it as a great opportunity when we talk to clients to really educate them on kind of what you know how capital markets grow and how it ties into their risk tolerance. So I, I know three things, Mitch, that. Uh, you'd have to agree on in terms of trying to time the market out. And one is that you can't say at what level a market correction is going to begin. You know, what's the high? And if we can't know specifically what that high is going to be, we also we also have to know that uh, the level of the correction or how deep it's going to go, we can't predict that either. So sometimes, what you, what you, you told me earlier today, how what's the average correction? The average correction will be at 14%. Yeah. Technically, a, a correction and correction territory is 10% down, but 14% is the average. And that, that's on an annual basis. So if we know that we're going to see that type of a pullback, but yet 
in January of this year, the market was at its all-time high again, that those corrections are going to come, but then they turn around and go back the other direction, which would technically be a correction the other way too. <laughs> but I think that's why trying to keep investors invested for the long term and seeing you know, how, how much of their money should be tied to the U.S. stock market, because it's really the only asset class we're talking about when we talk about this correction here and historical performance. But if, if we know that uh, you know, we can't predict when it's going to happen and we don't know how deep it's going to be, we also know that it's also temporary. We have to agree that that's a temporary correction because every single time in the past it's come back. And one of the things I love to tell my, my clients, Mitch, and when we go through this uh, these periods of volatility is I can't 100% guarantee you that the stock market is going to go higher than it was on January, the end of January this year before it started to pull back here this year. And it's only down slightly on the year, I think around 2% right now. But from where it was in January, which was the greatest January we've had in the history of the stock market for the S&P 500. And, and when we go back and look at that start and where we've come to now and pull back, people are fearful. But if I cannot 100% uh, guarantee you that it's going to go higher, I can 100% guarantee you that every time before this one that it went down, it went higher. And if we're playing the long game with a long-term investment, those are the ads I want to play. There's never been a 20-year period that the stock market has had negative returns. There's been very few 10-year periods. But when you go back and look, there are some five-year periods, and there certainly are one-year periods, including an 18-month great recession back in 2008 and 2009, where we saw it down 50% you know, over that period of time. And for the long-term investor that stayed the course and that saw that we can't time it, we can't predict it, and that stayed invested, stayed diversified, they were the ones that truly took advantage of the last nine-year bull market run. So now, Mitch, are we done with that bull market? I mean, what, what do you think? We're at the top, right? Well, we could be, right? We could we be could at the be. top, yeah. and it could go down from here, but it also might go up from here. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the general theme of this whole discussion. And you've you mentioned it a couple of times, but we, can't ha we don't have this glass ball of when is the peak, when is the trough. If we did, you and I and our clients would be incredibly wealthy. Yeah. If we knew when all that was happening, we, we would be rich. I'd be, I'm, I'm the best investor the day after the market closes. Like right <laughs> as the market closed, I'm like, yeah. Yeah. And, but and if I would have known at the beginning of the day, I would have done things exactly the way it happened. But. Right, right. And one of, the, one of my favorite quotes, I heard this a couple years back, and I, I don't know exactly when Warren Buffett said it, but it was something to the effect of the market is the most efficient mechanism for transferring wealth from the inpatient to the patient. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of those things that has always stuck me with me as we're talking about the long-term buy-and-hold type investment strategy. Yeah, and I've heard it said, too, that the greatest transfer of wealth ever happened was in that 2008-2009 period because there were trillions of dollars that left the stock market because they didn't trust it. And they said this is a rigged system, and, and, and there was a lot of negativity that came out of that. Um, and I can understand that. I mean, I, as I went through it, I mean, I saw... Uh, I, I had been in the business there for, for a year and, and watched this as it was happening. Uh, you know, For those clients and people I was working with, we were talking about diversification and talking about staying the course, taking advantage of opportunities. But I also would have people come to me with their 401k statements and they'd say, well, here's my 201k because it's cut in half. But do you know when I would look at that statement, almost always it would be 100% in U.S. equities, whether it was small, mid-cap, large-cap. It didn't matter they were doing really well when the times were good, but when the times were bad, they participated fully in that. And although they were invested, they weren't diversified. Mm -hmm. Now, 
if they would have just closed their eyes and stayed the course, the market's returned over 200% since then. And they would have come out of that fine. But if you're one year away from retirement, that's, that's tough to do. And so as I, we have clients too, and then people we talk to that are getting closer to retirement and they're saying, should I be putting my money into the market or should I keep it in the market? Um, you, you brought up a great quote there. And, and one thing that I've heard uh, as well before too, and I've shared this one with clients is, the best time to make a good investment is when you have the money available. It's a good investment. And whether you're trying to pick the market high or the market low, there's always the fear of missing out. If you don't make that investment and suddenly the market runs up over the next year 20%, are you going to get in then? You know, or if it goes down 20%, hopefully you'll be able to buy more, but it could go the other direction. But if it's a smart investment, it's tied to your long-term goals. If you make that investment and you match up the risk, you're not going to put all of your money into it. And over time, if that's a good investment and it goes down, you need to buy more. The best time to sell a good investment is never. It's a good investment. You want to buy more good investments, and if it's a good investment, but you might need the money. Maybe you're getting closer to retirement and you're saying, hey, you know what, this has been a great investment for me, but the risk is too high for me over this next distribution phase of my life. So when we talk about investing near a peak, the ideal number that we always want is the lowest number so we can buy the most shares of any investment we buy. But since we can't predict when that is and we don't know when that next sale is going to come, hey, this stock's on sale 20%. You know, if Apple goes down 20%, they didn't stop being one of the best companies in the world at making cell phones and sharing, you know, data, technology, music, everything else. It's just that the market values them as less because of their ability to make money in the future. But I think Apple's going to be around for a long time, and so I just want to go and pick up some more shares if it's a good investment. So, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It, by definition, a good investment is a good investment. Mm-hmm. And I've had this discussion with a few different people where in some cases they maybe inherited a stock or in their in their fund account they they wanted to put some stock towards, or excuse me, some funds towards stocks that they liked, companies or organizations that they liked and support. And they've asked, hey, it's at a high right now. Should I sell, take my gains? Well, they could, mm-hmm. right? But one of my questions back to them is, why did you get in in the first place? And, and do you believe that is still a good long-term investment? Yes, I believe in the company. Yes, I believe in the organization. I believe that they're going to generate future profits and therefore returns to me, the investor, in the long run. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes, we're at or near the high. But if you still believe that, it's still a good investment. Yeah. And, and you talk about highs. I mean, people were asking the same question when the stock market was at 14,000 back in 2007. Mm-hmm. When it when it peaked out at 14,000, everybody had been doing well from 2002 on to 2007. And there were some warning signs of asset bubbles and other issues, but there were plenty of people that put money in at the market high there and, and watched it go down. Also, they continued to put money in because it was a 401k contribution or an IRA contribution every month or if we consistently put money in, you take advantage of the movements in the market, the different prices. That's actually called dollar cost averaging. But if you're saving towards a goal and you're consistent about it, you're, you have a, a lot better rate of success if you're consistently paying yourself and putting it towards your investment than trying to time it out and find the best time to do it. I I get the, those questions all the time of, you know, hey, I've got where should I put this money? I just came into this money. And there's all sorts of great investments I have out there that are even outside of the stock market that I think about would be a great place that you might be able to turn a quick profit. But it's all really tied to 
what your goal is with that money. You know, going to the casino, you could make your money, you could double your money pretty quick. You also could lose it pretty fast. That's why they got all those nice, you know, gold archways and everything else when you walk in there and the, you know, you go out to Las Vegas. That wasn't built because people win. The odds are stacked in their favor uh, of the of the casinos. So you really have to take that in consideration. The stock market, however, for the serious long-term investor, more people have succeeded in making money in the market without having to necessarily gamble by playing the long game. And that's just shown by statistics. If you go back and look at how much the market has returned over time. Now, remember I said the 20-year periods? So this is probably before you got in the business, but do you remember what the uh, return between 2000 and 2010 was when it included two major recessions for the S&P 500? What was it? It was pretty flat, slightly down actually. Go back and look at how gold performed during that time period versus the market during that 10-year period. And gold vastly outperformed the stock market. And I remember, you know, I'd, I'd watch TV at night and I'd see there was just a gold commercial on every night about, oh, this is where you, you should put your money and this is the safe place to do it. Do you realize that at that point, gold has been down since 2009 until today? And if you go back and look at the historical long-term returns of gold, it's at 3%. So a lot of people bought gold at its peak. The difference is, is that buying gold at its peak for the last you know eight years hasn't been a great investment for people. But over time, gold's been a great hedge against inflation. It's averaged 3%. Meanwhile, during that time, the stock market has averaged around 10%. So to me, you know, inflation eats away at any of your return anyway. And so if you need your money to grow to outpace inflation so it's not worth less tomorrow, you don't lose purchasing power on that money. Whether the stock market is at its all-time high the day you want to invest or not, if it's a long-term investment for you, it's a great time to put it towards that long-term goal to put it into equities. Now, we build diversified portfolios here that have all sorts of different asset classes in them for different clients and their risk tolerances. But one of the, the main components of a good growth or, or even um, growth and in income strategy is, is stocks. Dividend-paying stocks, do you, you talk to your clients about these? Yes. So what are, you, what are your thoughts on dividend-paying stocks? Well, a lot of times you look at the companies that, if you're looking for like the, the tried and true stock, so to speak, and, and I'll also back up and say, I'm not a stock picker. Neither am I. <laughs> right? And if you talk to any advisor within the four walls of Walkner Condon Financial Advisors, none of us would say that we're a stock picker. But yeah, there's going to be those tried and true companies that, that maybe clients have inherited that they are dividend-paying stocks, and they've increased their dividends as time goes on. And those might be a little less volatile in some cases than some of the other speculative type of stock investments, but that absolutely can be part of someone's portfolio. Yeah. And the volatility on dividend-paying stocks tends to be lower. The standard deviation, you know, how, how much it goes up and down. And part of the reason is there's, there's more than one reason clients own it. Clients own a growth stock because they want it to grow. They want to sell it for more than what they bought it for. That's really the only way to make money if the company isn't sharing profits back with their shareholders. But with dividend-paying stocks, you're getting paid while you wait for that growth. And in some cases, you might not see a lot of growth, but you get a great dividend. So I know there's, a, there's some utility stocks and things that people have because they just live off the income from the, from the investments. You know, stable um, you know, price, stock price. Companies are in good financial situations. Their, their standard deviations are lower, but I, I'll often ask clients when they're trying you know, to think about, should I own dividend-paying stocks versus growth stocks? And 
I, I, I give the analogy of if you were going to buy a second home. So if you're going to buy a second home, Mitch, um, and, and you looked at it and you said, this is an asset for me, and you might go there for a, a week a year, would you rather rent that house out or not? Would I rather rent the house out or not versus what alternative? Versus just holding on to the house as an investment because you're going to turn around someday and sell that investment. Right. Hopefully at a gain. Right? Exactly. But that's kind of an it depends. That's a discussion with my wife. For yeah. one. <laughs> I'm, course, thinking, yeah, I'm thinking very specific to my, yeah, I ask these to my discussion when the wives are in the room. But, yeah. yeah. And if we're using it for one week a year, Sure, I'd like to think of the idea that, well, maybe we can capitalize some additional income on top of that, but then there's also the dis tax discussion is, hey, if, is it going to be over 14 mm -hmm. days a year or is it going to be under 14 days a year? Because yeah. then my account that I'll talk to, they might have a different preference on tax strategy around and, that. And, so th and we can get in all the different uh, you know, taxes and everything that goes into it, but at the end of the day, some, some people want a second home and they know that the only way they're ever going to make money off that home is if they sell it for a profit. Whereas in others know that I may be able to have the benefit of going there, but also make some money off it from the income. And a dividend paying stock is like having that second home that's paying you rental income. So every quarter it's, it's, it's releasing a dividend to you. In our case, we use you know, exchange traded funds that you know, they, they have the, the different investments that are in there and then we give you the dividends that come out there are given you know, out across all the different stocks that are in that, that fund. But that dividend is income that comes into your portfolio. So if on a flat year, remember we talked at the beginning about how the market goes up, down, or sideways, I want to be able to capitalize on the investment strategy in any one of those markets. So when the market's going up, we want to capture some of that gain, and that's why we have money invested in there. If, we, if we're capturing all of it, we're probably taking too much risk for many of our clients. But depending upon their situation, we want to capture as much of that as we can. Along the way, though, those dividends and interest that comes in off bonds that money is reinvested into the shares or taken out as income, and that helps to add to the gain of what the, the portfolio is. So, But in a down year, if the market's down 20% and a diversified portfolio is down you know, 11%, 12% because it's invested, we want to make sure that we're having that 2 2.5%, maybe even 3% income coming in for some of our, our closer-to-retirement clients because it's reinvesting and buying those shares at a lower rate. And, and we always look to say we're going to make sure to diversify. But when things pull back, we're getting more shares with that income that comes in. That's a set amount. And that helps out in those down years. And we know historically that there are more up years than down years. But when those down years come, let's have good quality investments that are buying in. Because who knows at that point? The next question, you know, next, our next uh, podcast could be investing near the bottom. Well, same thing goes. We don't know where the bottom is. And... You know, if we invest the next day, it could go down another 5%. You go, oh, we didn't hit the bottom. Well, timing the market is not something that's worked for most investors. And time in the market is something that has worked for many investors. So we want to keep that in mind. I know uh, there's a lot of clients out there that have fears that are going on. I don't care if it's the news, um, you know, just their own job situation, anything that's going on. We want to make sure that people know that we, we get it. We know that there's fear there. But one of the best ways for us to be able to address those fears is to look back and see how things have happened before during situations that may be even worse than they are today. And to have some agreed upon principles like we don't know when it's going to hit its high. 
we don't know how far down it's going to go. And we also know that no matter what, how shallow or how deep that correction is, that every single time in the past it's come back up. And it's just a temporary correction. So those are opportunities and, and not, you know, moments where we have to flee. So, And another thing that I've been thinking of, and part of this is going back to your earlier comment on dollar cost averaging. A lot of the people that we work with and people working to this pod, or listening to this podcast are contributing to some sort of retirement plan. Could be a 401k, for example. And they don't realize that just the fact that they're contributing on a monthly basis or a paycheck basis, by doing that, in a way, they're dollar cost averaging, mm -hmm. right? And, Absolutely. and if you, as of this recording and as of this listening to the podcast, are contributing towards your 401k, technically, you are, you are investing at a mm -hmm. high or a near high. Yeah, as long, and people if, if don't even... If you're putting it into investments inside the 401k that are assuming tied to the market, it's, yeah. Yep, exactly. Assuming it's funded into the 401k, invested in some sort of fund, whatever that fund lineup might be in your 401k, but most of the people that are contributing to that retirement plan are investing at or near this high, and they're doing it in a way that is dollar cost averaging. So then if they can, can continue to contribute, whether it's 6% just to get the company match or 10% or 15%, whatever you're contributing, if you continue that throughout the next year, year and a half, two years, whenever the next recession hits, your dollar cost averaging through the highs and your dollar cost averaging through the lows, mm -hmm. and over the long run, that kind of evens itself out. And you hit on that. It's consistency. And so I know that uh, the markets, as volatile as they've been lately, and even in the past, when you go back and look at some of the uh, steep drops that they've had, they do, they do bring fear. They do bring, you know, opportunity and trying to make sure that we match up our long-term goals to use the market to our advantage and make sure that our risk is, is uh, correct for how much time we have that we're tying the money up to. I, I don't think I've ever had a client come to me and say, I need, you know, I've got $100,000 and I, I, wh where can I put this for the next year that I'm going to make money? What stock should I buy? I've never told them, oh, here's the stock or here's what you should buy. I've always said it shouldn't go in the stock market. It's, it's a short term money uh, that you have there, short term goal for that money. And you're using a long term investment vehicle. And that could cost you if the market went up 20% that year and you put it all in an SP 500 index fund, that could cost you. But the risk outweighed the reward. And the, the correct thing for us to say to them is, is that that money really should be tied to what your short-term goal is. But for people for retirement money or for, for never money, sometimes people inherit money and they, they just look at it and say, this is just for protection or trust money. The stock market is always going to be a component of a good long-term investment strategy and one that we'll recommend. And we'll help anybody who has questions out there after listening to this podcast or just as you come in for reviews, you know, buckle up. This is going to be a more volatile year. I was reading up the other day, Mitch, uh, part of the reason for the volatility is, is looking at central banks and the way that they've, they've handled the, um, you know, the easing of money versus interest rates lowering and raising. When we start to see c countries competing on trade and they're, they're actually uh, not cooperating, but they're competing, it brings volatility. But in the long run, what we've seen over time is that the United States, being only 4% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's economy, has been able to continue to grow through all sorts of different economic problems over the last 100 years. You know, World War II, the inflationary 1970s, we had the 1980s savings and loan crisis and the 
you know, there's Black Friday over there. The stock market went down, you know, considerably, and they had, had to shut it down one day. And then we even had a recession in the 90s, the dot-com bubble burst. I mean, you can go on and on about all the negative things. I guarantee you I could find a headline during every single one of those that said, bread lines are coming, the United States is going into another Great Depression. But some of the things we're most fearful of never happen. I'm not going to say that that could never happen again because it could, and we have to be aware of that. But we're in a good position economically right now in the United States, and the market, although it did hit its all-time high this year, has been more volatile. I think that for the long-term investor, it's going to continue to present opportunities. So if you do have any questions and you want to speak to Mitch or I or Clint or Nate, please feel free to reach out. We, we appreciate you listening today uh, to give me some truth, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Advisory services are offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the states of Wisconsin and Texas. Clint Wachner and Nate Condon are investment advisor representatives of Wachner Condon. Kevin Castro is an office manager and marketing communications specialist for Wachner Condon Financial Advisors. He is not registered, and his participation in this podcast is limited to unregistered activities and will not be providing any advice that is investment-related, nor should any comments he makes be construed as giving investment advice. Insurance products and services are offered through WC Insurance Services, LLC, Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC, and WC Insurance Services, LLC, are affiliated companies. Content should not be viewed as an offer to buy or sell any of the securities mentioned or as legal or tax advice. You should always consult an attorney or tax professional regarding your specific legal or tax situation. Wachner Condon Financial Advisors LLC is not engaged in the practice of law. Whenever you invest, you are at risk of loss of principal as the market does fluctuate. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Purchases are subject to suitability. This requires a review of an investor's objective, risk tolerance, and time horizons. Investing always involves risk and possible loss of capital. Long-term care, estate planning, insurance products, and tax advice are not offered through Wachner Condon Financial Advisors, LLC. Wachner Condon works on a best efforts basis and does not promise or guarantee any results. Past performance does not represent future results. Please see wachnercondon.com for additional disclosures.